I remember my, uh, my audition because uh, he asked me to come down and learn all these songs. And obviously when I got there, we didn't play any of the songs that he uh, told me to learn, but I, you know, I got through. But he says you know, to me, okay, play this. And he picks up his guitar and he kind of cryptically plays a line because Frank had a particular style and it wasn't, um, it wasn't of the virtuoso type nature, you know what I mean? It was more visceral, you know? So he plays through something and he goes, okay, now play this tempo. And, you know, I'm watching him, okay. And you gotta get it right like that or else, you know? So I say, okay, and I play it, you know, and there's all these guys around and everything and, and I'm 20 years old and he says, okay, add this note here, and he plays a note. So I said, okay, and I thought about it, and I add the note. He goes, okay, now play it in 7-8. I said, okay, and I played it in 7-8, you know, and he goes, okay, now play it 7-8 reggae. And I, and I thought for a minute, and I said, okay, okay, and I play it in 7-8 reggae, you know, and it's this ridiculous line that has nothing to do, it should never be played on the guitar, you know. And then he goes, okay, now add this note, and... I looked up at him, I said, it's impossible, because it was, nobody could do it, you know? And he goes, well, I hear Linda Ronstadt is looking for a guitar player. think you'd be into it oh. is a podcast that we're gonna do now podcast bum, 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 bum. hi that everybody long of an intro was not that payoff was not worth that long of the uh song you did you know and you could say that about a lot of frank zappa's work uh so i take that as a compliment hi everybody uh welcome to i think you'd be into it the podcast about your faves i'm your host brandon beck i'm your other host beth scorzato uh, and our topic today is uh Everybody's favorite weird uh, rock and roll weirdo that uh, your dad or your high school science teacher liked. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about Frank Zappa. And joining us to talk about uh, the man himself is the drummer for the band Inkblot, um, as well as a regular around the Pack Theater when that was a place you could be a regular around. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Rubinow. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me uh, back. Yeah, last seen on episode forty about the critic. Yep, yeah, great to great to be back again talking about uh, something that I would say I like uh, just as much, if not more, than the critic, if that's even possible. Oh wow, yeah, that's. Uh, I would say I was at that point at one point in my life. Uh, maybe not now. Um, but this will be this will be this is gonna be a good one. Uh, but before we get into the uh, hot rats at hand. You know what I realized? What? This is probably the latest we've ever taped an episode, which makes both our earliest and latest episodes about notorious weirdos. That's true. Yeah, we did record our David Lynch episode at what, like 6.30? Like 7.30 wow. in the morning. We talked about David Lynch. 
Yeah. And now we're talking about Zappa at like nine o'clock at night. <laughs> it it felt like his weather reports feel. Just this like, <laughs> hello, I am doing a podcast and I can only make my brain go so fast. So, uh, like I said, before we segue into the hot rats at hand, uh, let's talk about some things we're into this week, shall we? If anybody has one, great. If not, I'm locked in. I mean, it's. I told you already I was going to make the thing I'm into this week or cat. Do it. <laughs> no, I just, I, um, I'm very fortunate that I'm working on a film right now. We're actually about to start shooting next week. And so I've been in pre-production and it's a choreographed like musical farce. So like we had rehearsal for a while before this and we had a tech scout before that. So I really haven't been home much in like a week. And so the cat that, uh, Gil, Gil Faison, the big cat that, lives me as opposed to Kentucky who is obsessed with Brandon and has only time for father nothing for mother um anyway Mm. Gil Faison has missed me very much and he's a very good boy and he is currently wrapped himself up in a little burrito in the blankets next to me and it makes me very happy yeah it's real good when he does that sometimes he'll stay under there for like hours and hours and hours as I imagine the real Gil Faison would also do (laughs) He'll stay under there for like eight hours. It's wild. Yeah, it's wild. He's also like uh, out of all the cats I've ever met, the most like direct about what he wants in a way that like humans understand. Yeah, I was up here setting up and he was like pawing at the blanket like I have to get under. And I was like, I'm sitting up, dude. And he was like, no, no. Anyway, I'm really into our cat. Cats are very good. Um, and if you don't like cats, like, I don't know, man, they have really tiny paws. What's wrong with you? <laughs> he also drinks his water, uh, not like, not by like leaning into the bowl with his tongue like a normal person. He dips a paw in and then licks it off. Oh, I've seen, I've seen cats that do that before. That's amazing. Yeah, he knows how to drink normal. We've seen him do it. But like 90% of the time, he just sits <laughs> next to the bowl and like gets his paw wet. And then you like, he walks across you and you're like, oh, wet paw. <laughs> and you just you hope it's water and not because he just went to the bathroom. Gross. Gross. Wait, do you guys have just the one cat? No, two. We have Gilfizon, and then we have Kentucky, Kentucky Trash Cat, who's named <laughs> after the character Old Kentucky Shark from Space Ghost Coast to Coast's perfect episode, Kentucky Nightmare. A shark on whiskey is mighty risky. A shark on beer is a beer engineer. Accurate. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that one. It's the one with Willie Nelson. I mean, Corey <laughs> Feldman. I mean, Willie Nelson. Yeah, it's great. It's oh, it's so good. So anyway, whatever. I'm into our cat this week. That's an experience I've enjoyed. Hell yeah. Nice. Uh, I uh, This week, I've been very into uh, the show Search Party, uh, which started on TBS but is now on HBO Max. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a... Great show. Stars uh, uh, Alia Shawkat from Arrested Development. And it's it's kind of a, I guess, like a true crime parody uh, starring, like, you know, millennial, uh, like, kind of Brooklyn hipsters who just are kind of just incompetent at everything. So in the process of trying to solve a crime, they just create, you know, more, more and more trouble. elaborate like hijinks that uh, they have to figure out and and get out of. And it just spirals from there. And it's just very hilarious. Yeah. I've heard it's like the most like 
cutting satire of this particular generation. <laughs> I started yeah. watching it a few years ago when it first came out, and I just I don't know I I don't know why I didn't fin- I enjoyed it, but it's just a thing I hadn't finished. But it just like I think the new season just came out or something, didn't it? Uh, it uh, it just finished. Um, yeah, I just watched the uh, final episode of the what's this the th- um, fourth fourth season yeah um and um nice and yeah it 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 was uh it was great i don't want to spoil anything but um yeah highly highly recommend and that's like uh alia shaw cat and john early yeah um and who there's two other core people yes who i cannot even name because they're i don't think they're like known uh outside of search party at least as, as far as i'm aware Gotcha. Uh, also, one of the writers on the show is uh, uh, Starly Kine from Election Profit Makers, uh, the best podcast uh, currently airing. Hmm. All right, then. Is that what you're into this week? No, I've I've uh, I've already done EPM on the show before. But I've done DuckTales like nine times, so. <laughs> that, that's fair. I, though I also, I don't feel like I could, I could better explain the appeal of EPM now than I could when Frankie was on the show. And I just felt like this is not tracking at all why I like this thing. I mean, the election's um, over and now it's basically just a missed connections podcast. That's true. Isn't um, that such a, a curse, though, when like you really like something, but you have trouble explaining why it's good to other people? That's I literally f- the premise of this show. <laughs> of this show yeah. and this episode in particular. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, uh, as much as I, I love uh, Kid Midas and Helicopter Tony and Starly Kind. Um, no, the thing I'm into this week is another hyper-specific thing. Um, I am specifically into Adrian Edmondson's performance in The Last Jedi. Adrian okay. Edmondson was the guy who... He was the guy that played Vivian on The Young Ones, the, like, like mohawk punk rock oh, guy who was just like me about this in the hallway the other night but i was only half listening <laughs> that's i i assumed as much um it's very it, late i'm sorry that's fine uh so he's one of the uh he's like the punk rock guy from the young ones which is one of the best british sitcoms from the the 80s um and he was also on bottom with uh rick mayall for like a million million British seasons. I think it was that you tried to explain the young ones to me. Similar, speaking of things that are hard to explain. Yeah, yeah, young ones is a hard sell. Uh it was a hard sell when I got into it in like middle school. It's a harder sell now. Yeah. Um but he's in Last Jedi? Yeah, he's in Last Jedi. Um so my my uh like canonical favorite part of the new trilogy has been General Hux. Um Oh, yes, I I remember you like explaining why he was your crush on stage at the Pack Theater that one time. I, yeah, yeah, I, br- I brought him to uh, Hyper Crush Battle Arena and uh, took that little space Nazi twerp to second place, uh, <laughs> only only to be dethroned by Luigi. And I'm I'm really glad the I I, I don't remember the name of the guy who was uh, defending Luigi. Um, but he could, I told him before the show, not knowing that we would be head to head, that I also have a tattoo of Luigi. Whoa. (laughs) He, he could have easily have made his argument, you know, yeah, but Luigi is the superior crush because the guy representing not Luigi has a tattoo of Luigi. 
<laughs> which, which like you kind of can't argue with that. Um, but yet, so in Last Jedi, uh, in that first scene with Hux where he's on the bridge and Snoke like force times him and it's just his like giant head and he like force slams him into the floor and basically just makes Hux look like an absolute little bitch. Um, <laughs> and Hux is like second in command in that scene is played by Adrian Edmondson and you wouldn't. He's only, he only gets, like, two or three lines, and none of them are particularly, like, anything more than, like, yes, sir, yes, sir of course, or, or, you know, that kind of thing you give to faceless Imperial guys. But mm-hmm. when right after the movie came out, Ryan Johnson did a long Twitter thread where he talked about this performance and was like, just watch him. And if you watch this guy in the background of this scene with Hux, he is just constantly rolling his eyes or like there's one part where it, like after Hux gets face planted, it cuts to him like desperately trying not to laugh. Um, and just like it's this really great little bit of comedy in the background of a scene that's already already pretty broad as far as uh, these things go. <laughs> Um, but it, it just it just goes to show the like level of care that was put into every uh, detail of that movie uh, in ways that uh, didn't continue. Right. Um, uh, yeah, uh, we're we cannot start talking about this right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is get in a fight with people that think the Last Jedi isn't the best Star Wars movie by like a significant <laughs> margin. Uh, last thing I want to do is I thought you said it was Rogue One. Uh, <clears throat> Rogue One is my favorite. Last Jedi is the best. <laughs> um, All right, folks, uh, take it come to at his me. Twitter. Please keep it. Please send that directly to at Hell Yes Brandon. I don't want to deal with it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> come at me specifically, Alex Vaughn. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really so, uh, into. Yeah. I'm really into from from that scene. I love the uh, the dreadnought captain. Uh, oh, that guy. Yeah, especially the the last shot of him right before the ship explodes. Just that face that he makes when he's being confronted with death because he he even dies like an asshole oh yeah (laughs) he just he just has this look of like (sighs) like this is how it's gonna happen all right i mean my my favorite characters in star wars in general are like the weird imperial middle management guys like like hux or uh inspector inspector critic a director critic from uh inspector gadget uh, you know, it... no, I'm just thinking about Inspector Gadget in Star Wars. Well, given the way the Mandalorian season two ended, I wouldn't put it past him bringing back Matthew Broderick to play uh, I guess Inspector is, Gadget. Uh... Yeah, I, I guess the Mandalorian is the Inspector Gadget of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Adrian Edmondson's uh, background trolling in uh, The Last Jedi is the thing I'm into this week. Uh, Ryan Johnson mentioned at some point, like, he had this little, like, you know, iPad thing on set that he so he could, like, mark notes and stuff on shots. And whenever that dude was in a shot, he would just go in and, like, put the little, like, five stars on his forehead like Vivian had on the young ones. Um, And it just... I fucking love that show so much. Uh, So it's nice to see that guy doing literally anything in the States. (laughs) Uh, Especially since Rick Mayall's been dead for like a decade now, so they haven't really 
you know, they can't beat each other up anymore. <laughs> so speaking of pummeling someone, Frank Ugh. Zappa, that nah, that wasn't my best, but it certainly wasn't my worst. I'd say it's was my not your worst. I'd say it's it's, it's, it's mediumist. I'd say it's my weas- it's the weasels ripped my fre- flesh of my uh, transitions here. So Frank sure. Zappa. I'm going to pretend any of those words have meaning. That's, you know, that would be fair if I had said most of them, like, halfway correctly either. Um, so, Brian, Frank Zappa. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's just, there's, just... Is that the whole question? Because I can just respond to that. Yeah, I mean, I, kind I, of. I mean, yeah. obviously the man was, like, a brilliant compositionist, but also just a... Perf- I mean, earlier you said to me, you were like, when you were complaining about the documentary, you were like, oh, is he, all these news articles are like, Frank Zappa, is he a person? And my response was, no, he's a performance artist. Which is kind of fair. Just a noted um, but, weirdo. You know, Brian, let's start with how you got into Zappa, because I, I think, I think that Zappa's one of those guys where like the, there are so many ways you could come at his work, given that he released, uh, and they say this at the end of the documentary, 52 records while he was alive and then 60 something more since he's been dead. Um, which is, uh, insane. Um, (laughs) but they're also like so different that like, yeah. So what was your, what was your Zappa origin story? Um, yeah, well, I think even as you said in the intro, you know, Zappa is that guy that your dad or your high school science teacher was really into. So, I think the the very first um, time I heard Frank Zappa was during the the Napster era, like around two thousand two thousand one. Sure. Um, yeah. When, <laughs> Get that lime when my dad was just like, "Hey, there was this song I used to listen to in college that was really funny. I kind of want to hear it again. It's called Dynamo Hum." <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> We searched up that song, downloaded it, listened to it. I was 14 years old, so of course I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. Um, <laughs> for people don't know, who don't know, Dynamo Hum is basically a song where he, where Frank Zappa just kind of describes this uh, really weird sexual encounter with, with lots of like vulgar, dirty rhymes and stuff. Um, which could, which could admittedly be any number of Zappa songs. Right. That's fair. No, yeah. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, so. Through Napster, I just heard, like, you know, different Zappa songs. Um, But I also um, met one of my best friends in high school who uh, he and his dad were also hugely into Zappa. Uh, They kind of inspired me to buy my uh, my first Zappa CD, uh, and it just kind of blossomed from there. I eventually did own all 53 CD, well, albums, but I owned them on CD. I owned every album he released during his lifetime. Um, nice. Yeah. not. I haven't really yeah. gotten into the posthumous material. Um, honestly, the, the stuff he made while he was alive is, is plenty. Yeah. And a, a lot of the posthumous stuff, too, is either just like live shows, which is a sort of different thing, or like just kind of you know like the equivalent of when the beach boys would release like all the studio tapes you know yeah. just like a oh, track yeah. of just the just the wood block 
I don't think I even knew who Frank Zappa was until I started dating you and you were super into him and then wouldn't have surprised me in the <laughs> You had a you were when we shortly after we started dating cuz I remember we were in Charlotte I think it was when we went to Charlotte right after we started dating you like found a Joe's Garage CD in the car you were driving at home and then it just became Joe's Garage time all the time <laughs> yeah I, I think well Joe's Garage was was I think my like biggest entry point into Zappa and I think for good and for ill still his most consistent work um <laughs> no that's a good one I, I'm a huge Joe's Garage fan that's one of the ones that's a little easier to like recommend to people. Like there's there's still a good chunk of stuff on there where you can be like, look, skip skip this one. It's it's kind of <laughs> gross and it goes on for eleven and a half minutes. Um, but like for the most part, it's all really good and sort of him at his most like I can be funny about something without trying so hard. Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's a triple it's a triple LP double CD, but like unlike some of his other ones, it's not just like three discs of Jimmy Swaggart jokes. Um, <laughs> and and I realize now I'm coming off very uh, like a, a negative towards Zappa. I fucking love Frank Zappa. I was a huge Zappa guy uh, in my younger days. Um, I remember I found you that record once, and you were so excited. Yeah, yeah. I've been looking for a Hot Rats for like several uh. years uh which is just one of those ones where it's one of the good ones so it's usually hard to find uh it's and... like mostly instrumental it's like lots of uh you know guitar wizardry lots of jamming yeah it's that's i think the way that like jam band people wind up getting into zappa sort of by way of that or by way of fish sure um, yeah but what was what was your uh, you mentioned your first Zappa record, but uh, you didn't specify which one it was. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, my first Zappa record was Zappa meets the Mothers of Prevention, which is the one that he okay. put Whoa. out uh, in the eighties during the PMRC hearings. Um, I I uh, I think I was well. Okay, so I was attracted to that one a because my friend who I had mentioned who was also a huge Zappa head. He was mm-hmm. playing that for me in the car, like on the way to Tower Records. So it was sort of, you know, <laughs> um, uh, leaning me towards that direction already. Um, but I was also just super into the whole like satirical angle of it. Because, um, you know, it's about or it was released during that whole period in the 80s where there were congressional hearings about dirty rock lyrics and, and uh, music videos and how it's poisoning our kids and heavy metal is, is uh, making kids commit suicide and all this crap. And, um, and, you know, Zappa, of course, just saw all, you know, through it for how ridiculous it was and released a whole album of like this, you know, anti-censorship, anti-PMRC stuff that um, my, you know, wise ass high school, just discovering the onion self, was uh, very much into. Of all of the possible Frank Zappa albums you could have started with, I think that is the second least I would have recommended to start with. <laughs> the 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 worst place to start would be Thingfish. That's probably oh, second. God. And then third is probably like Civilization Phase 3. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Or like, I don't know, Studio Tan, not a great yeah. one. Um, 
<laughs> there's, I mean, there's 53 to choose from. Uh, but yeah, that was the one I started with. And yeah, like I liked it more, I guess, for its like message rather than the music itself. Um, uh, I kind of got into the music, I guess, like later as I got into like the more classic albums, like Hot Rats, as you mentioned. Um, Roxy and Elsewhere, probably my personal favorite Zappa record. Um, That's a really, really good one. Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, again, a lot of instrumentals, a lot of jamming. Um, so yeah, so like I first got into Zappa because of the you know the satirical edge. I liked his sense of humor. Um, that I liked the fact that he was very anti censorship. Uh, and then also because you know I I started playing drums in high school and was in my first band and everything. I uh, got more into his musicianship. Uh, wasn't really into like jazz so much, just the fact that he really knew how to play and he, and like all the musicians he played with had this very high level of musicianship that, uh, that got me more into it. Um, so for a while I was just like, oh yeah, listen to that fucking solo, man. That's the fucking best. You know, <laughs> that was, sure. that was me for a long time. That, I mean, that's fair. And I think that's how Zappa hits for a lot of people. I think it does start, like, you're most susceptible to Zappa when you're sort of in that, like, you know, fuck the man sort well, of, That's what know, I was going to say before, for... is that, yeah. to me, Frank Zappa music always has, like, as it's ironic because I think it's two competing things, which, I mean, like, dichotomy and, like, the ability to clash these things is, of course, like, part of his brilliance. But, like, it's this, like, really elaborate, really complex, really, like, high-level, you know math problem kind of music and it also just has like huge teen boy energy <laughs> oh yeah like like it's it's math rock but then he'll have the tuba make a fart sound yeah, yeah. <laughs> which like which is which is great like i don't i don't want to shit on that too badly but it's it's also like he's he's very easy i think to sort of in a lot of ways, Frank Zappa is an obstacle to uh, enjoying Frank Zappa music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, I've, like, my, um, I guess, fandom or my relationship to Zappa's music has definitely kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. I, I, I still, you know, I still definitely have a large place for Zappa's music in my heart, but it's, you know, it's kind of rare that I'll just turn on a Zappa record when I just want to listen to something I enjoy, you know, uh, if, if that's the case, it's usually like, like Roxy and elsewhere or hot rats, just one of those classic albums that you can just kind of groove to. Um, sure. yeah, the whole, um, yeah, like, <laughs> like, I don't even remember the last time I listened to meets the mothers of prevention. Like I, I don't, I just don't feel the need to, to listen to that these days. I, th I think Zappa also – the way his music is just, like, structured and uh, and performed, it's not easy to casually listen to. And, in fact, it, like, goes out of its way to be the kind of thing that, like, if you were just hearing it in the background, it would sound like noise, but it'd be enough to make you go, like, what is that? You know, which is, like, mm -hmm. kind of half what he wanted. Um, but like it's it's music that like but that's makes not itself... how you feel about fish. I... It's not. No, no, it's not. <laughs> um, I, 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 fish have actually what said. Is that? 
<laughs> which you're not wrong. Uh, but Fish have actually said that like when because Zappa was a huge influence on Trey, uh, they've covered Peaches and Regalia since like the '80s. Um, but he's basically said like Zappa. The thing Zappa would do is try to get as far out there like rhythmically, uh, you know, and so it would just lead to these really like kind of crazy, like, jagged, kind of, like, atonal things happening, whereas Fish wanted to try to get out there in a in a more melodic way. Like, th- their goal was to see how f- how weird they could get while it's still danceable, whereas I don't hmm. think Frank was particularly uh, concerned with whether or not people wanted to dance to his music. In fact, it probably irritated him if they did. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's even that line... In the uh, recent Zappa documentary, where uh, he says like the he the reason he makes music is so that he can hear it, like he just writes the music that he wants to listen to, and if other people enjoy it, that's great, but that's not his aim. And like I had never heard that quote before, but you know it totally makes sense knowing the man and his music. Like I can totally believe that. Oh, absolutely. And and that was one of the few sort of like statements about like artistry and creativity uh, that were made in that movie. And there, there strangely weren't that many. Um, but that like really resonated with me, that the thing of like, oh, here's a thing that I want to exist. And it can be either like a really brilliant, like smart, well thought out thing or just something so fucking stupid. But that like <laughs> you can manifest both of those. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's a big dichotomy guy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, what What was it about, like, his music that's kept you coming back uh, over the years as opposed to just kind of like, oh, this was a fun sort of teenage thing and sort of <laughs> moving on from it? Uh, well, I think part of it is just how much of it there is. I mean, uh, at Fair. some point, I... Uh, I just decided, like, I'm just going to make this a project to own every album he put out. Um, and it took me, like, years. Like, I didn't fin- I didn't buy uh, the my final one until, like, I was well out of college. Um, what was the last one? I think it was Civilization Phase 3. Um, that doesn't surprise me. I, th- I was sort of in the same boat. Like, I had most of his catalog on cd but as it got to the end there it was all stuff like i don't know if i need to own a cd of thing fish or uh broadway <laughs> the hard way actually let me remind me later to tell the story about how uh thing fish almost catastrophically derailed a date i went on freshman year oh man oh Wait, i fr- must know this story <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we'll get back to i don't later. even know this story yeah or like speaking of like you know the worst cds to start out with i just remembered i think maybe the uh the worst one to start out with would be um just another band from la because that is mostly just recordings of like a live uh like play so there's just lots of disconnected dialogue not even much music (laughs) and so definitely for for completionists only um so like yeah some of these albums even though i i own them uh, I maybe listened to them once and then just put them away. And then you're like, well, yep. I can say I've done it. That was an exactly. experience. Well, I, 
I think I think he's the sort of artist that like his music kind of asks for that. Like it, it really like draws in people who have the urge to sort of be completists or to just really just like kind of see where it all goes. Cause, cause it's, you can't listen to Zappa for very long without realizing like, Oh, there's a lot of stuff here and it goes some fucking places. And I think a lot of people will, will maybe just stick to kind of the, for lack of a better word, easy ones. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but it's, it's the rare artist that is able to, you know, still have people buying his music that they're not that wild about. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, I mean, like I said, like before I even uh, like fully appreciated his music, I was more into his, um, you know, his attitude, his lyrical content, his um, like free speech uh, advocacy. Uh, one of my favorite like Zappa things is his appearance on Crossfire. It's uh, so good. That they show a short clip from it in that Zappa doc, but you can actually find the full episode on YouTube and it is definitely worth looking into because I've they, seen a lot of like <laughs> weirdly uncomfortable interviews with him. <laughs> Most of them were. Yeah, but like they put him against so he's obviously arguing for free speech, for uh, you know, for the rock and roll artists and the person they have him debating against is like like just like the very caricature of like a like the the you know the buttoned up conservative like religious uh like uh what what's the word like poindexter because he's got like you know hugely thick glasses he's in like a gray suit uh and he's like i think he was maybe a journalist from a newspaper or something and he's i thought he was like a like a senator or congressman or someone no i don't think they had anyone like that important on crossfire yeah i could have sworn they had some political people on there but either way um but yeah they it's just oh man it's just great just watching him watching zappa will a just get more and more frustrated but also just like you know arguing well they get into not just rock lyrics but he starts talking about how you know the Reagan administration is leading to a fascist theocracy and they start debating that back and forth and it's just amazing. It would work the way the uh, implementation of any law works. You pass a law, it has words in it, and then the uh, elected representatives of the people try their best to apply it. It's a way you do it with everything else. Will they apply it perfectly? No. But we're entitled to use the force of our civil government uh, to help protect our families. How could you oppose that? If, does like the government have any purpose, Frank? Yeah, it has what? a number of purposes. What is it? Name I'm more. not going to give you a civics lesson here, but yeah. I'll tell you one thing. We must not see eye to eye on the idea of a government that must forbid things in order to really? protect Really? What is families? the government's role? You've told me several times how what about it shouldn't nas- do. How about national defense? Yeah, I consider this thing. national defense, pal. Our families are under attack from people like you with these lyrics. John, you don't have to buy them. Could I make a statement about national defense? The biggest threat to America today is not communism. It's moving America toward a fascist theocracy. And everything that's happened during the Reagan administration is steering us right down that pipe. Oh, Mr. Mr. Zappa, do you you really think? I mean, all kidding kidding aside, in this country, with the permissiveness that we are moving toward a fascist theocracy, anything goes. Do you think things like this would have ever been permitted? Smile again. When we when we 
were 20, 20, when we were kids, you're about my age, maybe I'm a little 45. younger. I'm 45. Well, I'm 55. Do you think when, when I was a kid that they would permit songs like that to be sold? I mean, permissiveness is the game. I mean, well, exactly. I mean, you're not you're not really serious if, if you're saying we're going toward a fascist theocracy. <laughs> That's right, we are. Wait a minute. In what way? Give me, give me uh, one example. No, wait, 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 wait. What, one what, example. What, one example of a fascist theocracy. When you have a government that prefers a certain moral code mm -hmm. derived from a certain religion, and that moral code turns into legislation mm -hmm. to suit I'm, one what, certain what, religious what, point of view, and if that code right. happens to be very, very right wing almost toward well, Attila the Hun. Well, then you are an anarchist. Every form of civil government is based on some kind of morality, Frank. Morality in terms of behavior, not well, of in course. terms of theology. Well, of course, but look, I mean, I couldn't believe in your John, hearing. John, in your okay, hearing. wait a minute, gentlemen. We, we, uh, we have to take a break okay. now, We're gonna come and back. we'll be back with John Lofton and Frank Zappa talking about rock music, I think, after these messages. Yeah, it, it's a lot of like these these dudes doing this that very like you know. Well, now, Mister Zappa, I may not I may not agree with you, but uh, you know, was... sort of like Republican bullshit, and then him just having like like it all feels like a bunch of talking points that he surgically dismantles in a way that is incredibly <laughs> elegant to watch. Oh wow! So I looked it up. Um, it says that, uh. It wasn't the main commentator, Robert Novak. Instead, it was John Lofton, a right-wing columnist for the Washington Times. Okay. Right. So that's, that so he was debating right. a yeah. journalist. Oof. <laughs> I, I think in my head I was just, like, replacing that guy with, like, Tipper Gore, <laughs> <laughs> um, who, who was in charge of the whole, the whole PMRC thing. There was a document, not a documentary, like a uh, sort of, like, VH1 made for TV movie about that that I heard was actually pretty good. Oh yeah, I saw that. It's it. I actually I thought it was bad. <laughs> Fair. Uh, well, I heard the guy playing Zappa in it was really good. Really? I mean, maybe I was just a, a, a Zappa fanatic at the time, but I so because I could not just help but be critical of his performance sure. maybe if i went back and saw it today because i know the actor who plays him is a good actor but i just thought like like oh zappa wouldn't say that or he wouldn't act like that or whatever but i don't know watching it today he probably would um dana carvey did zappa like once on snl and i've never been able to find the clip but i've seen a photo of it oh my god i i, I have no idea what the context was <laughs> So speaking of Zappa on SNL, that was amazing oh seeing God. that footage from the documentary. Just holy crap. I think that was one of the moments where the movie sort of accidentally makes Zappa the villain of the piece. <laughs> yeah, because like, uh, yeah, I just putting him on. Yeah, tell the, tell the story. Okay, so, well, he was actually on SNL twice. I think first as a musical guest. Yeah, uh, but then the second time, did he did he host and be the musical guest? Because like he was in some sketches. I think he pulled a Chris Gaines and was both. <laughs> so yeah, so just I, I I don't know. Trying to imagine Zappa like you know, it, doing a sketch. It's just he's not gonna do that. He's not gonna like follow someone else's script. So sure enough, he's just like he he looks very just. 
I don't know, like bored or like he doesn't want to be there and his delivery is just very flat and it's just, I could not imagine more awkward television. Yeah, he's like, the and the way the movie frames it, I, for, I forget who it was. It was one of the talking heads uh, framed it as a like, well, he just, you know, he thought that they were that they were making fun of him, that it was this, you know, that like their whole that that was their whole thing and that they were just going to make fun of him. So he might as well just be kind of an asshole about it, which when like the sketch doesn't come off that way. Um, the, and like the sketch that they show a good chunk of is uh, it's like mostly Belushi and Aykroyd as these kind of like stoned out Zappa fans who are like, wait a minute, you weren't on drugs when you wrote Freak Out? And he's like, no. You weren't on drugs when you wrote Hot Rats? What? And it's just the whole SNL cast basically repeating that that bit. And like in the I, I see how you could get there intellectually, but like watching it, he just really comes off like pretty disrespectful of the show and not in a way that reads as like punk rock. It's just really <laughs> kind of uncomfortable. And the rest of the clips they showed kind of have that. But like I don't know. The, the the movie frames it like it was this cool, like, you know, fuck you to the man. But, like, it really comes off more like him kind of shooting himself in the foot in a way that isn't particularly endearing. Yeah, that's, I think, maybe the biggest thing that I've had to reckon with in terms of, you know, my, my Zappa fandom maturing is just realizing that he could be a very unpleasant guy a lot of the time because he was... He was very full of himself. He, you know, kind of, he definitely looked down his, his nose at you. And considering the size of his nose, he's, that's a long <laughs> distance to look. Um, but, but, you know, it's cause he, you know, he, he wrote all his own music. He hired all his own musicians. He produced all his own records. So I guess that kind of gave him this feeling that he could, I don't know, look down on other musicians that have that like, have producers or whatever or like have songwriters yeah it's one of those things where we're talking about how like he's like yeah he's not that great a guy he's absolutely a hundred percent that guy that like does it all himself but like very openly because he just thinks nobody else is smart enough to yeah oh yeah absolutely like it's 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 people are like oh he's such a control freak and it's like no He's being a superior asshole. He's not doing it because he has to control the process. He's doing it because he's convinced that nobody else could possibly be as brilliant as him. Yeah. And, like, weirdly, the only person he he seemed to have any artistic respect for was Captain Beefheart. Right. Hold yeah. on. Really <laughs> need to know about that. What? Wait, do, you, do you not know who Captain Beefheart is? I know who Captain Beefheart is. I didn't know that he was related to Frank Zappa or that Zappa liked him. Oh, babe. Yeah, they were friends, like... Uh, like, like in high school. Yeah, high school or college. Um, Zappa, I think... Pro did he produce Trout Mask Replica? Uh, no, but I think he released it. Or, yeah, something... He was involved in the creation of it. This is the Central Podcast Denizer. It is my duty to inform you that Brian and Brandon were both incorrect... And in fact, Frank Zappa did produce Captain Beefheart's Trout Rast, Trout Mask Replica. This has been the Central Potsdenizer. And they had the they had one uh, 
collabo live album called Bongo Fury, which is a, a really good uh, Zappa live album and also like one of the better showcases for what was interesting about Captain Beefheart and not the like infuriatingly atonal parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, look, babe, I've I've been with you for 13 years. I know who Captain Beefheart is. I was going to say. <laughs> I just didn't realize that him and Zappa were buds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, th- like those two are fucking birds of a feather. <laughs> yeah, because, like, in, in his extremely long, prolific career, like, there's, like, no other musician that he, like, collaborated with or wrote songs with. He He pretty much just did his own albums and hired his own musicians like uh there's there's one live album god i forget which one it is now but he he brings uh sting on stage to sing a police song so he gets his band to play a police song that's broadway the hard way (laughs) okay so outside of little like one-off things like that very very little collaborating with like other artists of the day yeah and like I can't imagine people were like rushing to try to work with Frank Zappa. No, probably not. <laughs> like he he very much seemed like he sort of was going out of his way to be like, I'm carving my own lane, you know, get here if you want, but I'm not stopping. Oh, yeah. I think my main problem with Frank Zappa is that so many of his lyrics sound like the nonsense lyrics I sing when I'm making up a little song to my cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair, honestly. I, I can't even argue that. But, like, he def- he delivers them like they mean something. I, I don't know if I agree. I feel like I'm going to push back on that. I feel like every delivery he's ever had is with this sort of, like, Hey, all right. I'm sort of singing a goofy song. <laughs> it's so put on, though. It's meant to oh, be. Oh, totally. It's like he's just wearing a shirt that says, hey, did you know this is satire? Oh, yeah. It's ap- like he absolutely puts on a Frank Zappa mask. <laughs> That's one of the things we sell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. No, for real. For real. Okay, so I think I've talked on the show before about like my bizarre misfortune that I am the editor of a bunch of like prog rock licensed things even though i have no interest in math rock at all um anyway so including rush but we also do zappa stuff and we did a zappa coloring book and we also have these two different like one is like a halloween 77 mask or something but we have these like frank zappa masks (laughs) that we wow that we sell as well are they in 95 no, they're like officially licensed. I don't actually, I don't know if they're actually even for sale on the website or I've never shipped one, but like, yeah. Well, unless Gail signed off on them, I can't really Ugh. support them. <laughs> Though I would want I would 1 million percent buy a Frank Zappa mask that had a, a mustache on it, like a furry little mustache. Absolutely would buy one of those. I mean, I'm the, yeah, no, but I'm the, I'm the editor of the Frank Zappa coloring book. <laughs> well, when you say it like that. But we tried to do, well, we wanted to do narratives. I mean, you have already made a joke about the estate. So, like, it's not a secret that the estate is very particular. So we have the license for the coloring book, and we've really wanted to do narrative stuff, and they are just, like, not interested. Uh, but the the company that I edit for is also an animation studio. It's called Fantoons. Um, and they did some of the animations for the, Franca, uh, the, the Bizarre World of Frank Zappa tour that they did a couple years ago. Which is um, the hollow Frank. And they're really good and really cool. They're all up on their website. If anybody felt like looking at them, you guys can go do it there. But yeah, 
it's uh so like my, my relationship with frank zappa is like it's this thing brandon's really into and now good <laughs> thing i sort of know some of the jokes because i have to look at these coloring book pages and go yeah that makes sense i guess yep <laughs> love you too babe <laughs> I, it was fine. I mean, my only other main experience was that show where that guy spilled beer all over me, and I was still nice enough to give him his wallet back. Ugh, right. <laughs> that I think that's the other the other thing we should uh, sort of talk about. Have you ever seen a? Uh, I mean, I, I. It was Zappa play Zappa when we went. Obviously. Have you ever seen a like Zappa related show live? Be it Zappa play Zappa or. Yeah, I was just about to bring some of this stuff up. So I have seen Zappa play Zappa in concert, which was amazing. One of the best concerts I've ever been to. Yeah, they're great. Uh, just incredible. So it's it's his son, Dweezil Zappa, and a lot of musicians that played with Frank when he was alive coming together to yeah do his music in concert, and it's amazing. Um, I also saw uh, here in L.A., uh, God, a number of years ago now, but they, they basically put on a stage production of Joe's Garage. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, uh, that was really great. Uh, I also should mention in that show, um, so on Joe's Garage, the album, there's the song Watermelon in Easter Hay, uh, which is basically this long extended guitar solo, but Frank kind of considered that uh, his masterpiece, and he kind of de- he kind of decreed that after his his death, Dweezil is the only person who's allowed to play it live. Uh, so, out of respect for his wishes, when they got to Watermelon in Easter Hay in the show, uh, I mean, they had a live band for all the other songs, but when they got to that point, they just dimmed the lights and they played the recording from the CD. Um, and then after after that song was over. Lights come back up. They just resume the play as normal. Um, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I really love that. Because because that is that is that that is sort of the like sort of the emotional climax of uh, Joe's Garage. If if that story even has one, um, but the idea <laughs> the so the we should probably explain Joe's Garage just because that that We've is probably about the, it a lot. And oh I mean, boy, it, all right. Settle in. I actually, I kind of, I mean, this is the one I've heard the most. And this is, I think, one of the easier ones to explain. I mean, I'm not going to get into the, getting into the plot of Joe's Garage. Like, yeah, that's kind of weird and hard to explain. But, like, even bigger, this is why I say all the time. Remember, I always make jokes about how I'm like, they just wanted the broad answer. Here's the broad answer. And then you guys, you nerds can tell the specific answer. (laughs) The broad answer is that Joe's Garage is uh, a Frank Zappa I would call it a concept album. I would say it's the closest he ever came to doing like a Tommy kind of rock opera thing. It is one consecutive story told through many different kinds of songs, which is why like, I'm not saying like it's a rock opera because it's really not. It's more of a concept album. And it, it, it's an interesting, weird story. It's, it's bizarre. It's sexy. It's futuristic. It's super cool. But, um, definitely like an enclosed piece i don't know if i'd say sexy so much as sexual that's fair <laughs> but that is a oh, fair yeah. distinction i think i just couldn't think of the word sexual and so i just said sexy it thinks it's sexy that's fair it's it's and it's sort of zappa's big like take on uh american puritanism really 
Like it starts off about this sort of like innocent kid who just wants to start a rock band with his friends. It wasn't very large. There was just enough room to cram the drums in the corner over by the Dodge. It was a 54 with a mashed up door and a cheesy little lamp. With a sign on the front said Fender Champ and a second hand guitar. It was a Stratocaster with a whammy bar. We could jam and Joe's garage. His mama was screaming and his dad was mad. We was playing the same old song in the afternoon. And sometimes we would play it all night long. It was all we knew and easy to do, so we wouldn't get it wrong. All we did was bend the string like... Hey, down in Joe's garage. And then, like... They very quickly are just sort of swept up into, you know, fame and the sort of music machine, um, which is really kind of the villain of the piece. And it's it's basically about watching this, like, young artist slowly get corrupted by, like, the bullshit of the music. Well, the stuff that Frank thought was bullshit about the music industry, like like women and drugs and shit like that. Um, But the sort of climax of the piece. Uh, oh, yeah, he was the original, like too annoying straight edge kid <laughs> we get it you don't have to drink you don't got to tell me about it all the time straight edge kids and vegans <laughs> um but yeah so at the at the end uh joe has wound up in jail because he has like played music and by that point that's a crime um it has a little bit of like sort of dystopian 1984 to it if it had better guitar solos than 1984 yeah. does 1984 <laughs> has some good guitar solos but they're they're not as good as this yeah but it's like every rock opera has has that it's it's like a cliche the the future where rock music is illegal so that's that's rush's 2112 that's sticks as kilroy was here uh even dream theater has an album about a future where music is illegal it's such a cliche aerosmith's video game generation x oh my god (laughs) (laughs) where you where you fire exploding cds at cops Right, yeah, which is not not a, a concept album. It's an arcade game. Yeah, it rules. Aerosmith was really licensing just about anything long before The Simpsons, huh? Oh, yeah, L- long before the rock and roller coaster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like he says, that's a great idea. Uh, but yeah, so as Joe is in prison because music is illegal, he just imagines guitar solos, and uh, Watermelon and Easter Hay is the kind of the final guitar solo that he imagines as he's losing his is mine. It's the one it's the one moment sort of in his entire career, even in the instrumental stuff where where Frank just kind of shuts up. 
and like just lets his guitar really do the talking and like it's a really incredible simple piece and he says so much through his guitar which which i think was his more effective voice than his singing voice necessarily um but it's just yeah it it is it's often seen as the it's like it's the top like there's there's there he never did anything better or really anything that had the emotional depth that this one particular piece has yeah no i think that's right and and yeah he made no secret that his singing voice was not up to par like in in his oh, yeah. um autobiography uh he even says like i would not pass an audition to be in my own band as a singer yeah <laughs> oh totally i mean he couldn't he couldn't sing and play guitar either oh, oh yeah no yeah <laughs> yeah he can only do one at a time yeah, like of all of the things that he had trouble with, he like his exact quote about it was like, I don't know, my brain just can't process it for whatever reason. It's like, that's what your brain can't process? <laughs> he also, I believe he didn't use his pinky much when he plays. He he kind of just used his first three fingers. Huh. Because some of those reaches on, some of those high E string reaches he does... I I don't know I don't know how true that is. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I could mi- be misremembering something from I don't know when Dweezil was talking about his dad or something. He was he was an incredibly specific guitar player. Like his his playing is this like just this sort of flurry of notes. That's not necessarily like a like a shredder guy. Like a lot of his guitar players in his band were these shredder guys like Adrian Ballou or Steve Vai, but he he just has this like weirdly particular sound that like sounds like a, a car engine just like revving up. but this, this very like like dirty and scuzzy tone that like is really incredibly versatile and incredibly unique to him oh yeah and like rhythmically it's very like stop and go kind of like herky-jerky like uh like almost like the structure of some of his songs because his songs are usually very weird he doesn't use you know traditional verse chorus structure or whatever and so his his playing also kind of mirrors that. It's just very kind of unconventional. They're more like freeform poems. Yeah. A little bit. Basically. A little bit. I, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm like shitting on Frank Zappa. I'm really not. He's absolutely brilliant. I just don't have as much context. But so like everything I know about him being a noted weirdo is cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's great. I'm into it. Yeah. He, he's, he's a difficult guy in general, like, I, like I, I adore Frank Zappa, but it's it's so hard to try to talk about him without having to bring up so many caveats. 
Right. You know, I was... <laughs> and, and I say that as someone who spent the better part of my life defending Fish, a band that comes with quite a few caveats of their own. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these, these days I would say, like... <laughs> These days, I, okay I would there, maybe babe? say I, I respect Frank Zappa more than I like him. I mean, a, a, a lot of his music will, you know, live in my heart forever. But, like, when people bring up just, like, you know, a lot of his music is hard to listen to. I, I, I'm just be, I'd just be like, yeah, no, you're right. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, he would have been yeah. canceled for being a Republican by now. I don't. Oh, God, yeah. I don't think he would. He, he considered more himself as a conservative. He, yeah, he would have been he would have been hardcore libertarian. Yeah, yeah, like a real uh, Gary Johnson voter, I think. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's one moment in the documentary. I mean, there were a few where I was just like, oh, oh, so buddy. So is this the recent were still... one? Sorry, we didn't talk about what how this just came out, didn't it? Yeah. So the documentary that we've sort of been referring to uh, on and off is Alex Winter's uh, Zappa, which just came out uh, on streaming over last Thanksgiving. Um, And it was the first documentary that had really been produced, like with the help of the Zappa Family Trust and like sort of a lot. And it it got them access to so much like unseen, like unearthed footage Oh yeah, it, it's the first uh, Zappa documentary that actually goes into the vault of his yeah. uh, all his recordings, which I don't think has been done before. Nice. Yeah, and like it, it, it makes no bones about that. And there, there is a lot of good, just like footage in there, like a lot of cool angles of stuff I hadn't seen. There's a lot of good footage from like the Garrick Theater run he did with the Mothers in like the '60s. Um, but I don't know the the documentary itself, it felt like it felt really surface level a lot of the time. And like, it felt like, like, like I've sort of hinted at earlier, there were times where it felt like it was unintentionally sort of making Zappa come off as more of a villain in the piece, which is, which is weird. Um, but there, there were a couple moments in there that are really, really incredible, and a lot of them are the moments where, like, a good chunk of it is just, like, primary sources of just footage of Frank talking about whatever, be it through interviews or, you know, in-studio footage or, or, or stuff like that. But throughout the movie, they there are interviews with uh, a handful of people that were in his band, and it seems to be the people that, like, you know, Gail approved of because there are so uh, there are so many interesting people he played with that are just nowhere to be seen on this thing, which is oh, yeah. kind of a kind of a weird bummer. Like, you know, Ike Willis. You guys also keep mentioning Gail for people who don't know who that is. Oh, yeah. Gail uh, Zappa is. Well, Brian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Gail Zappa is his widow and the I guess the caretaker of the uh, Zappa family estate and the the protector of the the archive. And um She's very protective. Yeah, so like the reason Zappa was not in the iTunes store or on Spotify for a long time was because Gail didn't want him to be. Um, uh, so yeah, so she's sort of yeah the one that guards his legacy these days. Um, uh, but yeah, um, Brandon, I kind of agree with you that a lot of the doc is kind of surface level. I, I think that's maybe because they really tell his entire life story, basically from birth to death. 
That's true. Uh, so maybe they just didn't have time to go in in depth into some of those subjects as much. Um, I enjoyed it, but I, of course, came into it as a huge Zappa fan. If someone went into it either not being a fan or knowing nothing about him, I have no idea what, what they would think of it. I feel like it might read more like... Or at least the the vibe I was getting while I was watching it, and and this could have just been me trying to like figure out how this would read to someone, but it feels like it it was very concerned with what he did, but less so with why it was interesting and why he was interesting, like especially musically, like like the the film doesn't go all that deeply into his music, um, with the exception of there's one chunk. Uh, about two-thirds of the way through where it's focusing on a piece of music he wrote called The Black Page, which oh, he had yeah. written for uh, a drummer that was just designed... It was called The Black Page because there were so many notes and it was so complicated, it just looked like a black page. And it's this sort of notorious, like, it was how a drummer would audition for his band. Like, if you couldn't keep up with the black page, they're, they're, you just don't need to be here. Um, but the, there's a lot of discussion about this piece, but there's a, a part of it where uh, Ruth Underwood, who was his percussionist for, like, ten years, and absolutely a, a brilliant percussionist in her own right. Oh, yeah. Um, where, when's the Ruth Underwood documentary coming out? Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> she was the she was the most... She comes off the best of anyone in this film. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, like, Ruth Underwood's rules. I love Ruth Underwood. Um, but she... There's a part where she's just, like, in her studio and she's playing the Black Page just on a piano. And so it's it's just this melody removed of any of the other context or removed of the kind of like Zappa-ness of it being performed live um, or with a full band. And it's just this this melody that like I'd never heard it that way before. And it it struck me how gorgeous it was. And like that was really the only moment in the whole thing where they sort of go like go into what his like why his music was was interesting and what he sort of did with it that other people weren't doing and it it's it's a really fascinating glimpse into like oh this is how this works melodically and it, and it it says so much more in just that scene of Ruth Underwood sort of just showing here's what the intervals of this song are with uh, a piano and a, a light drummer uh that it's it's really I I don't know it, it that's what I wanted more of that out of the the movie rather than just another you know sort of Zappa one hundred one because I feel mm. like eat eat that question did that more effectively. Oh yeah, there are definitely other uh, there are definitely other docs out there that go much more into the music. Like um, I think maybe VH one produced one. Uh, they had like this series where they looked at specific albums and they did it from all different artists and the 
The Zappa one they did, I believe, was Overnight Sensation? Yes, um, it was Overnight Sensation and I want to say Chic Your Booty. Okay. Um, um, it was sort of like the the big 70s ones. Yeah, and they get, like, Dweezil in it to, like, go over the the guitar parts and everything, and they get really in-depth into into the music. Yeah, that, that, that whole series is, is worth checking out. They did them for... A good long little while. Actually, on yeah. a previous episode, one of the things I was into was from the uh, Steely Dan one, where it's them talking about uh, all the different people they, they brought in to record the guitar solo for Peg. And it's just them playing the ones that didn't go and then kind of making fun of them. <laughs> <laughs> Including, like, there's one there's one where, it, it and this line will never be far from my my thoughts whenever I'm recording any sort of guitar piece is they play one of the solos and they just don't even say like a word they just kind of like look disgusted and then uh Walter Becker goes what is that an envelope filter on his guitar and it's just like oh my god that is the most cutting thing anyone has ever said and I I love it and it's hilarious (laughs) um can I can I tell you something yes when you just said that it was the new Alex Winters documentary, I became very confused and had to Google it. And it, I was like, like Bill and Ted? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. That, yeah. The same Alex Winter. Okay. I once I once passed him. Uh, I was going to eat lunch at Bright Spot. And I walked by the uh, one of the windows. And I saw two children sitting in a booth. And I was like, God damn, those two kids look exactly like Alex Winter. And then I went into the restaurant, and there was Alex Winter sitting across from his two children. Oh, that's hilarious. Who look dead ringers for their dad. It was hilarious. Oh, man. Did we get any Twitter questions before we wrap up? Other than Dom telling us to not be cowards and talk about the black page, which I think uh, we, we did. We didn't. Yeah, that was sort of all we got. I guess, I guess Brian, my sort of final question for you would be if – and this is maybe another one of those impossible questions to ask, but – if you wanted to, if you could suggest uh, a starting point for Zappa, what would it be? Or a couple different points where you could start. Because, like, I, 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 w- I want to try to give people, like, at least a little foothold in, into this thing. I would maybe try to tailor it to the person. Like, if I knew what kind of music they were into already, Fair. I might choose a, a different album. But I would say just in general, um, if you like like jamming and like long guitar solos and just kind of like kind of rock flavored music like that. I would go with um, Roxy and elsewhere or hot rats. Those are good options. If you like uh, funny rock music, if you like comedy in your rock music, go for overnight sensation. The one that has dynamo hum. The first song I ever heard is zombie wolf on that one too. Yes. I like that one. That I one's love been zombie in my wolf. Head. Zombie Wolf is great. Uh, or uh, another comedy option is uh, Apostrophe, which has the don't eat the yellow snow cycle. Uh, so uh, I think that's probably enough to get people started. That's that's nice. fair. I, I think, I think you, if Brandon? I was... What would you suggest? Yeah, I think I would suggest starting with either, either Joe's Garage, uh, if only just the first disc, because um, that, that is the most, like... Here's just the story. Does that one have the Muffin Man on it? 
Uh, no, Muffin Man is on Bongo Fury, actually, the uh, the Captain Beefheart live collabo. Um, ah, I like the Muffin Man. Muffin Man rules. Muffin That's Man a good one. is Muffin Man is is like uh, the opening track on Hot Rats, uh, Willie the Pimp. Is just another one where it's just a a guitar riff, like a verse, a, a sort of a bridge, and then just Frank goes for ten minutes, um, <laughs> and it rules. Because um, girl, you thought he was a man, but he was a muffin. Um, but oh, yeah, I oh my god, can guess- I? I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. I need to. I need to put an asterisk uh, on something I said before. Okay. Um, when I said one of the worst albums to start with was uh, just another band from LA. That is the wrong album. I did not mean to reference that one. I meant um, uh, ahead of their time. Ahead of their time is the bad one. That's just a recording of like a live play. So. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> avoid ahead of their time. Uh, do listen to just another band from LA. That's actually a great album. Uh, okay, sorry. Please continue. <laughs> and that that was that was the All era. Right. Good correction. <laughs> that was the era, sort of after the mothers uh, had sort of officially broken up, where he, for some reason, had the two had the two dudes from the Birds singing. Uh, no, the, the turtles. turtles. The turtles. Flo and Eddie. Hell yeah. Which led to these like delightfully weird versions of uh i can't see you loving nobody but you for all my life with like the full like zappa like when it was at his like fuzziest musically (laughs) yeah um but yeah i would either say uh to not just copy yours because i think yours are also great great suggestions i would say either start with the first disc of joe's garage and then just jump straight to watermelon and easter hay and go from there uh, for the last third of it, when it actually wraps up kind of nicely, um, or uh, the the one that really got me into Zappa first was one of the in in the late '80s. The band he was touring with uh, was this giant band with like an eight piece horn section, and he released okay. a, a I lot. I know how much you love a horn section. Oh yeah, and this horn <laughs> section rips. Um, but he released uh, three different live albums documenting that documenting that tour because they had to cancel it before it ever came to America, which sucks because it was like one of his best live bands. Um, it was like it was like the Zappa big band, essentially. Um, but they released three double live CDs of that band. And the one I think that's worth checking out is called The Best Band You've Never Heard in Your Life, which has like. Oh, yeah. Which which always has to me like a kind of equal amount of like oh here's here's Zappa being a little bit silly, uh, here's Zappa just sort of going to town on some guitar stuff, um, here's Zappa just doing straight up bolero. Um, <laughs> it, it opens with a really uh, really fun. Uh, he tells this story of meeting Johnny Cash in the hotel that they were staying in because this was recorded in Italy somewhere. And he was like, I asked Johnny to come to the show, and he was going to, but then his wife got sick, so he couldn't do it. But instead, we learned a reggae version of Ring of Fire. Who now? <laughs> who would like to hear it, even if Johnny can't sing? All right, now who wouldn't want to hear Ring of Fire? And then everybody applies, like, all right, then we'll hear Ring of Fire. Um, and so then they play this, like, really over-the-top, like... Simultaneously reggae and country version of uh, 
Ring of Fire with like one of his uh, keyboard players just doing this very like love is a burning <laughs> thing. Um, but like the musicianship of it is is really is really fun, and it's a it's a like genuinely sort of fun spontaneous fun live moment um at the top of this uh this disc um that that disc also ends with a uh cover of stairway to heaven which like zappa didn't do a lot of covers but a lot of the ones he would do he decided to do because like wouldn't it be weird for Frank Zappa to do that? Like for <laughs> a long time, wouldn't it be weird time, to put a theremin on this song that didn't need it? Basically, like for a long time, uh, w- one night at one of their shows, somebody yelled out "Whipping Post." Oh, I and just he was like, "Oh, I heard about this." Yeah, and he was like, "Okay, I think it'd be funny to learn Whipping Post." So then the <laughs> band learned Whipping Post and do it just about as well as the Allen Brothers do, and there's nothing sarcastic about it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's real good. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my suggestions. I, I think. Beth, what about you? <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I do like Joe's Garage, but that's I really know. my main familiarity. That's fair. I mean, yeah. I actually, I mean, I know the ones that the, that Fantunes did the videos of sort of because I proofed the text about them, but that's for, um, Dangerous Kitchen, Penguin in Bondage. I think there's one other one. Something dental floss. Oh, Montana. Uh, Montana. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there's one other one. I just don't remember what it is. But if anybody wanted to check those out, they're uh, up on Fantunes.tv, and uh, so there are a few of the videos from the the hologram tour that they did a couple of years ago, which looks cool as hell. Oh, and by the way, on the song Montana, one of the backup singers is Tina Turner. I think huh. I knew that. Wild. Yeah. yeah. Another another weird fun fact. Uh, he fired Doctor John from his band. I did know after, about that. After Doctor John brought weed. Yeah, he brought weed. Z- oh, Zappa was also notoriously uh, not st- straight edge necessarily, but just like didn't drink or do drugs, or didn't yeah. let his band like while they were sort of in his charge. Yeah, which which is um, fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, like, yeah, a lot of people think because, like, his music is weird or his children have bizarre names that he must have been a huge druggie. But, no, no, he was just like that. But it's also one of those things where, like, people are like, oh, yeah, he was so, but it's like, yeah, I mean, well, just because you do vape in the walk-in doesn't mean you're supposed to either. You're still at work. It's just their job is being a musician. That's true. That's true. Well, uh, Brian, thank you for vaping in the walk-in with us today. <laughs> thank you for joining us here in the Utility Muffin Podcast kitchen. Uh, thank you for having Hot Plate Heaven at the Green Hotel. I'm just going to um, let him keep going. Until I could, I could go on, but I think those are all the ones I have. So then you I think that was on. plenty. <laughs> yeah. If, if people wanted on, to... Then. That's true. If people wanted to find more uh, Brian Rubinow related content on their internet, how could they do that? Oh, yeah. I guess, you know, if you want to stalk me on social media, at B Rubinow, just my first initial last name, on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, don't friend me on Facebook unless you know me. Uh, but feel free to, to follow my Twitter and Instagram. That'd be, that'd be great. Are the uh, old episodes of the show still up? Oh, yes. So, yeah, my my uh, critic podcast is still 
on hiatus. I've not given up on it. I'm going to get back to it eventually. <laughs> but, That's all right. Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, they can listen to the ones, hey, and the show's out there. And uh, you yes. can listen to our episode about it uh, as well. It's also out there. You guys can l- go listen to that and then get into something else, too. So, yeah, It Stinks, the Critic Podcast, still on iTunes and Spotify and all the things. It's all right. We took like a year and a half hiatus. We can't criticize anybody's hiatus. Oh, okay. That makes me feel better. Thank you. I'll bet that podcast has a real good theme song. We didn't do a single <laughs> podcast in calendar year 2019. Oh. And and yes, Brandon did the theme song to my podcast. So thank you again, Brandon. You Oh, you uh, shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. <laughs> you knocked it out of the park. <laughs> Nailed it. All right, babe. What about you? Uh yeah, I, I'm I'm on my my usual uh bull Lying roar. about your EP bullshit. <sighs> I'm on my usual bull roar. Um I've got Happy Seppy Grown Up Hour now on YouTube. Um, our first new f- exclusive to YouTube show is going to be at the uh, top of March. I don't remember the exact day, um, but we're still, you know, doing some fun, uh, weird and wild stuff over there. Uh, Inkblot has some uh, videos, some live stuff on YouTube and our, our demo on on SoundCloud. Um, we haven't really been able to do all that much because uh, of the pandemic and because of uh, massive major life changes. <laughs> um but we're we'll hopefully sort of be out of uh, hibernation soon. Yeah, we're still yeah we're all still very motivated. We all can't wait to get back to it. Yeah, and uh, as far as my like sort of soloy stuff goes, um, I'm I am finishing up my uh, my EP hat on a hat, which will hopefully be out by the beginning of March. I know I've been saying that for like a eight year. months now, yeah. but I finally I finally cracked the shit I had been meaning to crack. Uh, and I'm now uh, about to send it off to get mixed. Uh, so that'll be available on your uh, your Bandcamp. Uh, I did a Fleetwood Mac parody for uh, Happy Sappy a few months ago. We did an episode uh, themed around regret. So I wrote a Fleetwood Mac pastiche called We Never Should Have Banged, uh, <laughs> featuring vocals by myself and Kaylee Quick and Mike Pfeiffer of the Hell Yeah Babies. Um and we made a video for it that we're going to be screaming on the next uh, I Want My HYB live stream, which I think I know, actually, is going to be on Friday, February 26th. Um, so we're going to be sc- streaming that. But if you so want to... So that'll actually, I think, be the day after our Twitch show, which Ooh. you are hosting this month with a special guest host, Sam Weller, because I will be on location. That's we're true. We're calling yeah, it the you're... Wife Swap Show because Sam's wife is going to be the guest. <laughs> wife Swap. Wife Swap. Um, but if you go to uh, brandonbeck.bandcamp.com, you can, uh, you can hear that track now. Um, and if you wanted, you could purchase it for 69 cents. Nice. Actual child. That's brandonbeck.bandcamp.com. I, I, I defy either of you to tell me you would have priced it any differently. Uh, <laughs> um, Beth, what about you? Uh, yeah, as usual, you can follow me everywhere at at bscores, uh, but the best way to find me is to just follow the podcast. We're at at IntuitPod on Twitter. We're the hashtag IntuitPod on Instagram because I refuse to build another Instagram account. Uh, and uh, we're on Facebook if you get any mileage out of that, but uh, we hope you subscribe to the show. Uh, if you could give us a, uh, we haven't done this in a while, but you know, uh, if you wanted to leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, it really does help us uh, get noticed and get more listeners and uh, we've uh, had a really great time this year doing a lot more episodes since we restarted this. Uh, 
you know, it's a really cool experience. Uh, we've gotten more listeners. We've gotten to talk to more people. And uh, that's because of you guys. But if you uh, left us a review, it would help us get more listeners and uh, be able to keep doing these. So that would be rad. Um, that's it. That's all I've got. Thank you, as always, to Kaylin West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting over is a lot like giving up off the album. Falling is like flying. I got nothing. I, I don't even know when this movie I'm shooting is going to be out. I can't promote it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that'll, that'll be out someday, maybe, eventually. Yeah, one day. I'll talk about it if it does. Well, Brian Rubenow, thank you so much for... God, I'm searching for another Zappa reference. <laughs> uh, I, was like looking, I was like looking around the room as if I could like usual suspect it, <laughs> but there, there was nothing on my pin board, nothing nearby... Um, Brian, thank you for uh, joining us in some conversational <laughs> jazz from hell today. Oh, there you go. Uh, there it yeah, is. My pleasure. Any, any time. Well, there it is. All, all that, that being, being said, said, girl, you thought it was a podcast, oh. but it was a podcast over. Girl, you thought it was a cast, but it was a podcast. <laughs> It's not a bit. You just want to sing the song. I'm shocked you didn't pull your guitar out. <laughs> I, I stopped recording and I'm <laughs>